Excellent. Well, welcome to Open Life again. And I want to take a moment before I jump into this, this talk today and uh, pray for a family that many of you are probably familiar with. Uh, if you've ever picked up like a number one bestseller on the New York Times list called Purpose Driven Life, uh, the author of that book has had to walk out what really we're talking about over the course of the next four weeks, and that has been a, a challenge with his youngest son and having a, uh, some, some different mental uh, challenges and, and having tried to get him out of a, a deep depression unsuccessfully as yesterday he, his youngest son took his own life. And he's the pastor of a church. Rick Warren is his name. He's the pastor of a church, huge church in California and really one of the most um, influential and visible Christians on the planet. And we just really want to, to pray through this with him. And so I, I would just, you know, maybe it's not one of your responses on the back of your connection card, but maybe just j- jot somewhere to remind yourself daily to lift up the Warrens and uh, pray for them because I can't imagine the pain and hurt that they're facing. So let's just pause here and pray. God, I thank you for Rick Warren and really the path that he's paved for Christianity and the global impact that his church has, and the movement of planting churches was hugely influenced by him and Bill Highball in Chicago. And I just pray that, God, you would give us the reminder every day to pray for Rick Warren and his wife Kay and their loss of their son, 27 years can't imagine the pain. But God, the community and the world is really going to know our true heart by the way we respond. And I just pray that, God, we would respond in prayer and that we would come daily lifting them up, that they could be spiritually held secure in you. I think of that passage in Philippians that you would guard their heart and their mind in Christ Jesus. Because sometimes in seasons like this, uh, that's exactly who we get mad at. And I pray that you would get them through the morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry to start off with a downer, but that uh, had to be done. Here's my question today. What if the church and the people following Jesus in it, most importantly, began to lead in society from sincerity versus scrutiny? Sincerity versus scrutiny. Romans 12 has a bunch of passages in it concerning love, and we're going to look at a few of them, 9 through 13 and 15 and 16 here. It says in verse 9, it starts off, love must be sincere. Let's jump over to verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. So love must be sincere. Like, what does that look like? And what has the interpretive nature of Christianity been within our world? I love the author, Ed Stetzer. He's this guy who writes books on being on mission with Jesus. And uh, he 
wrote a book called Lost and Found based off of a ton of research that the Lifeway Institute and as well the Center for Missional Research in North America. Uh, the reason I quote that is some of you out there, if I were to quote statistics without saying who did them and how they're done, some of you are just going, yeah, you just made that up because all statistics are made up on the spot. I think somebody said that a couple times. Anyway, the, uh, you know, it's not true. These are like real stats. There's this real research in between 2006, 2008. He went out and did a bunch of research amongst ministry leaders, unchurched, dechurched, and churched people. Uh, and, and had successful encounters both face-to-face and over the phone with more than 250 in every, each one of those categories. And they developed data that was released in that book about how we're losing basically the young adult population from the church in America. What is it that's driving them crazy? You know, and so he goes through these different stats, but I was always told that if you have something bad to say, sandwich it with good. So here's the, here, here's the good stat, right? The Christian church is generally helpful to society as a whole. 73% of the people said that. The Christian church is generally helpful to society as a whole. So there's a posit, somewhat positive mindset, right, in people's minds about the church. But listen to these next two statistics. Those who said that this was true, this statement, I do not think my lifestyle would be accepted at most Christian churches. 39% of people carry that opinion of the church. That 39% of people think their lifestyle would be unacceptable in the church. Another quote that they affirmed in a crazy percentage, 67%, was the church is full of hypocrites, people who criticize others for doing the same thing they do themselves. 67% of people said that that is true. You know what? It should be, right? I mean, think about this. Aren't we all hypocrites? I mean, if we really are making a cultural relevant impact in our world, there's a lot of hypocrites outside the church too. I think we just have to deal with where we're going to deal with hypocrites, right? Anyway, that's my opinion. Maybe I'm just a hypocrite. Okay, here we go. Uh, Another one. I believe I can have a good relationship with God without being involved in a church. 90% of people say that. I believe I can have a good relationship with God. Challenging information to swallow for the mission of the church because obviously we need to somehow disseminate the word and help people understand it and grow in their relationship with Jesus in order to make that message known to others. Final stat here. If people at church cared about me as a person, I would be more likely to attend 58%. 8%. As followers of Jesus, we must, we must begin to lead society from sincerity and not scrutiny. Or as we say it at Open Life, we must be genuine, right? Free from facade. We've got to be real. And that sincerity hopefully can speak to the 58 and the 39%. I don't know that we'll shift the 90% perspective that people can grow on their own in relationship 
with God. They can to an aspect and knowledge, but God designed us to be life on life. We can't, we can't grow in a vacuum. We're, we're relational in creation. And so we need to realize we do need connection. I think those expressions are vast and yet really discovered. There are ways of doing church that nobody has thought of yet, and I can't wait to see and celebrate what those look like. I hope that open life could be a part of some of those very expressions. Love must be sincere. Imagine the potential of transformation and life impact, if you would, if those who honored Jesus on Sunday lived a life which he could demonstrate himself through during the rest of the week in our circle of influence, in our world and community. We are a continuous illustration of our beliefs. It's not like we can turn off our influence, right? And okay, well, when I'm at church on Sunday, I can influence people for the positive. But during the week, if I'm being an influence for, for negative, I just, I've turned off my Christian influence radar for people. No, no, you're still the guy who goes to church on Sunday. And, and that's okay. We're all in process, but we need to be making forward progress, right? We are expressing our beliefs in what we do. The most powerful service you give the Lord is not the time you make available on Sunday. It takes, what, 32-plus people, volunteers, to make, or at least roles in serving to make open life happen, from rolling in at 8 o'clock and setting stuff up to putting out A-frames to serving in kids' ministry to, you know, just all running lights down, whatever. All this stuff takes people, about 32 roles. But that's not the most important service we do in the week. The most important service we do Sunday to Saturday is be a reflection of our Creator to the community around us. It's called reconciliation in Scripture. It's this ministry we do. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this way, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've been given a ministry. Congratulations. You have one, right? Uh, Verse 19 says, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. That's good news. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As followers of Jesus, your sincerity on mission for Jesus, your sincerity is critical so that Sunday to Sunday, ultimately, Sunday through Saturday, we're being an accurate reflection of Jesus. God is making His appeal through us to those around us. It's an intense responsibility. Uh, If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, you may even be more aware of this. You may have been At one time, you may have realized your expectancy was for those to be sincere, and you were disappointed at some time. I don't know. Uh, But we've got to ask ourselves, how pure is our reflection 
Is it confusing what people are seeing of God through us, or is it understandable? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What in the world is that talking about? If you go into the Old Testament, Moses was meeting with God. And when he would meet with God, he would be filled with the glory of the Lord, is what it was called. Basically, he was filled with the Spirit so full that when he came out, he would veil his face because he was so bright, he would blind people because of being with the Lord. He just had this brightness about him, and they could tell he'd been with the Lord because he was veiled, and, and he would communicate to them what he had experienced, but he would wear a veil. And when Jesus came and took our sins upon himself on the cross and rose conquering death, hell, and the grave three days later, it gave us the power and authority to, with unveiled faces, let God's glory shine through us in everything that we do. So we have this responsibility to, to unveil. We can't, be, we can't be hidden in our relationship with God. We can't be veiled. We have to let Him shine through us. We have a responsibility. We have a ministry of reconciliation to carry out. And Moses was a demonstration of this in the Old Testament, but now we're commanded here to be more and more like Jesus all the time, ever-increasing. The percentages should be shifting in our favor in the world we live in. We should not be losing ground. We should not be convincing more people that they're not loved in the church or that their lifestyle is unacceptable in the church. The statistic that frightens me the most, honestly, is, is, I guess not frightened, maybe the right word is disturbs, bothers, keeps me awake at night, is the de-churched in our society. It's those who have experienced church, therefore they don't go anymore. Like, that's not good. I understand if somebody's never heard the hope and peace that can be found through a relationship with Jesus. But for those who have come looking for a relationship with Jesus and found nothing, and so they leave, or maybe they even got hurt and they leave, that bothers me. One time exposed to faith, but that's actually the result of why they don't pursue a relationship with Jesus. Here's, here's where this series began. It's really spiritual. Hope you're ready. Season three of The Voice. Right? Come on. Come on. Huh? Can, can you feel this? It's like, is it so my kids, we do our impersonations of The Voice. Anybody watch The Voice ever out here? Raise your hand. Yes. Yes. I'm finally, finally an illustration where somebody raises their hand. This is wonderful. Anyway, who's this? Blake. Blake. Good job. Good job. Okay. Uh, who's this? Think last season, season three. CeeLo. Or I could go like, Brah, or whatever. Meow. You know, that guy's just not. Uh, I'm not going to put on silk pajamas for you because that's like, would also be CeeLo. Uh, who's this? Adam, good job. And then this is my girl's idea, okay? Who's this? <laughs> Come on! You know, Christina, okay. And now this season, you know, you've got, I can't, these jeans are so tight. 
How do you do that, Peter? With tight pants. I can't. Anyway, so. Uh, Usher. Yeah. And I have no impersonation for Shakira. It's just like she's always confused and just kind of, you know. So this season's interesting. But here's what happened. I was watching on the first episode of season three, and this gal is singing, and she begins to cry, and they're like, like, where have you sung? Where did this gift come from? And, and she begins to cry because she's like, well, I used to sing in the church. But, you know, the way I dressed and my lifestyle, you know, you know they just stopped. They were judging, and, and, and so I stopped singing in the church, and, and her parents were pastors, and all of, the, all of the judges started to say, oh, yeah, I used to sing in the church too. Oh, I used to sing in the church too. It's already happened this season, didn't it? You know, right at the beginning of this season, they're like, yeah, I used to sing in the church. I started singing in the church. But, but then, you know, I'm like, this is not good. That's not what we want. This is, not, this is just fanning into flame the 39% that believe their lifestyle will not be accepted in the church if, if we hear this I used to language. Should not the church be the place with some of the greatest talent in the world? Because the, God is the giver of all creativity and gifts. He's our creator. Like the most gifted should be in the church, it should be setting the standard. It bothers me that just because a song doesn't have Jesus in it, somebody doesn't listen to it. When so much of what's out there could be redeemed and glorify God. Uh, what would happen if we began covering those in prayer who exemplify a superior talent and gift in an arena? Instead of making false assumptions and labeling them and uh, just because of the way they dress or, or act, I don't know. I've had too many conversations in community, those who, have, uh, those who have not been in church since they, their marriage went bad and they had a divorce. And it got ugly and uncomfortable, and so the church just kind of, you know, covered their losses. That's not good. We cannot be that church. We cannot be those people who assume things about others. And they find comfort in a conversation somewhere other than the church. They find comfort in a conversation in a restaurant or a bar or a wherever. Those who are right from wrong at a young age, but they chose wrong. And people just didn't stick with them. They kind of got mad at them or angered. And teen pregnancy, loss of virginity, drug abuse, criminal records. And we get uncomfortable with that lifestyle. But yet, those, any of us, when we sin, it's not healthy for us to be alone. God said it clear back at the beginning of the time. It's not good for man to be alone. So what are we saying about the love of God when we walk away from people in trouble? Or we walk away from people in success. I'll talk more about that in a second. Life is better together. And we've got to find a way to do life through every season. I think this is expressed really well from God 
in the most, one of the most famous scriptures in all of the text of the Bible. It's in the Old Testament, right in the middle. Well, not quite the middle, but it's in Psalm. Psalm 23. This is the one you hear, right? Uh, this is the one people feel okay sharing. But it says this about God. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, so far it's all like, the hills are alive. You know, it's that moment of, with the song, music, oh, green pastures. You know, you're, it's beautiful. It's this moment of, this is all hunky-dory. But listen to how that happens, right? Here's the process. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness. There is a, there's a through happening here. There's a life happening for his name's sake, it says. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That should be the story of having a relationship with someone who has a relationship with Jesus. This should be the story of our reflectiveness of God. This should be the story. Yeah, man, he's, I've had some tough seasons in my life, but but that person, man, they led me into some, into finding peace again. I I was restored. Uh, I was, you know, I just feel like no matter where I go, they're there and they're comforting me. That's what we're supposed to do. The ministry of reconciliation is, and they're saying here, God followed me. I love how Jesus words it. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, he's rose from the dead and he's commissioning his disciples. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We need to understand something very clear in these passages. God is with you. God is with us through the valleys, and He follows us on our successes. You know, He's on Facebook, follow. You know, that's just what He's doing. He's like a fan, right? He's leading, He's restoring, He's guiding us through any season. And I I honestly think our greatest challenge is grasping the reality of walking with others through life because we ultimately haven't had a very positive demonstration of the church faithfully walking through people's mess with them. Life is messy. And, we tr- and we've seen demonstrations or examples of, of church that needs to look perfect and happy, and, and everybody's, oh, bless God, right? But in reality, life is messy. So we need to be okay with being not perfect. And stick with each other through it all. Not giving license for each other to sin, but walking through each other's moments in life where we really need comfort. And for those who have been wronged in this aspect, maybe you walked through these doors today, and I just want to, as a Christ follower, say sorry. 
You've heard the character of God already today. It's not ever the intent of God to kick you to the curb. It's His intent to love you. His arms are open wide. He's calling you by name. And He's going to be with you through the mess. In fact, He's been following you. And He's a fan. And He wants a growing relationship with you so that you as well can be a growing reflection of Jesus to others in this world we're in. We need to increase our stickability, if that's a word, or staying power. And we need to really find how to walk out sincerity. So let's unpack this passage, Romans 12, 9, uh, that we started with. I'll, I'll, I'll read it again for the sake of reminder. Love must be sincere, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Three keys to sticking with others, being the reflection of Jesus, if you will, in a world set on Jesus' followers being sucky at sticking with people, right? There are three things we need to be, and they're in verse 12. The first is be joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. It's interesting to see how quick uh, my Twitter lit up yesterday in a very unfortunate circumstance of Rick Warren's son having taken his own life. And it's lit up with pastors saying, praying for you, brother, praying for you, brother, praying for you, brother. Oh, praying for Rick Warren, praying for Rick Warren, praying, praying, praying. But just a couple weeks ago, Rick Warren was trying to find an inroad with the Muslim community and making an effort to witness to them. And Twitter was blowing up with judgment against Rick Warren, throwing stones at him for even showing up at a Muslim convention. And he's like, I have an inroad of grace to actually have influence here, but what they're seeing is judgment, judgment, criticism, criticism, criticism. Why don't we pray for Rick in this opportunity? Isn't that what we're called to do? Rejoice with those who rejoice. He's got this opportunity to walk through, but yet... We assume things. We're not good at celebrating others' wins. And I can't be alone here and seeing this. It seems like Christian musicians, back to the voice, right? It seems like Christian musicians, given favor, they crack into an incredible gift and group and they become more and more well-known and they be- grow a following. And, and the next thing you know, if they're just singing about Jesus on a platform in a church, we're okay with it. But if they start to do the clubs, which is where they should be playing in the first place to be a witness, anyway, my opinion. Uh, so they're, they're out there sharing and, and making Jesus known within the content of the illustrative power of their songs and stuff, and they begin to be a redeemer in the marketplace. We start to assume that they're in sin because of the way they dress, who they hang out with, the places they play in, right? We label them. We don't celebrate well with them. We don't take them up. An actor becomes really good at acting and, and does a, a scene in a movie where they cuss or maybe they kiss someone who's not their bride and we're like, well, no way they could be a Christian. That Denzel says he's a Christian, but I don't think that Denzel is a good Christian. I've seen his movies. I think I've seen his bottom, you know, and you're like, this is not good. And you're, you're, you know, so we get all judgmental on them. 
when they're trying to be a light in a dark place and you don't realize that people have changed scripts so that evil doesn't win in the end when Denzel's playing the role because he won't accept that one because he wants good to win because God wins in the end. You're like, oh. Someone makes a ton of money with the wisdom that God has given them, and, and they have a nice house, or they drive a nice car, and, and people are all like, oh, man, they're just just—they're all about money and possessions. You know, we start to throw stones. This is not good. Can we just do what the Scripture very plainly encourages us to do with all sincerity and celebrate the favor of God on those who are using their gifts to the fullness of the ability God has given them? And instead of judging them, pray like Jesus did for them, right? That, that they would continue to succeed, that they would grow in favor. Who can you rejoice with? Who can you rejoice with today? Who are you celebrating through success and victories with? Who's experiencing favor that you could encourage and just say, hey, that is awesome. I'm praying for you. What an open door. Those on the top are often the loneliest because people just kind of don't go through success with them. Be one who sticks through. Second point here today, be patient in affliction. So you rejoice with those who rejoice, right? But we do need to mourn with those who mourn. Just sit there. Don't be a teacher in this moment. Be present. Be a comforter. Be one who will listen. Some of you have a personality for that, a little more than myself. Uh, you know, just to sit and listen to me is, is an exercise of discipline because I'm always on the go. For those who know me, they're just kind of laughing. Maybe it is the caffeine pumping through my system. I don't know. I just don't do well. I'm like, oh, look, a fly. You know, it's just like the way I am. I just probably need medication. But anyway, so... Um, but are we good at just, most importantly, being present? The reality is that when we were created, God, the Son, the Holy Spirit created us, right? And, uh, and so we are created to be in relationship. Not good that we're alone. And, and so when, when we're out there doing life, and when life happens, good or bad, we need people. We need encouragement. We need relationships to show themselves. And the Holy Spirit can come shining through us and, and bring hope that only we could have through Christ. We favor the present. Let me, let me talk about this for a second. You know at those big moments in your life who was there and who was not there. Moments like your wedding which was either a good thing or a crisis. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, moments like funerals, uh, big moments, graduations, and all those things. You know who's in the crowd. And you play to them as if you were an actor on a stage. You play to the crowd. We recognize the, the needs that are out there, and, and, and we favor the present. I think um, uh, it was Jeannie Mayo, a mentor of mine, she said, those who spend the most time win. Those who spend the most time win. If you're there, if you're spending time, if you're cheering people on, if you're in their crowd at a basketball game, you, you win. Fathers, you cannot win by working and not being at the game. How many know that goes bad? Right? 
We need to be present. Don't make those who are down make the choice of who is in their crowd. You choose for them and show up. That's a challenge. We've got to be through the valleys with them. Share with God's people who are in need, this passage says. People leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Can you stick in there with someone? Mourn with those who mourn just a little longer. I know it's tiring. And by the way, you always have to have someone that's leading you, and you always should be leading someone else, right? Someone's leading you up the mountain, and you're leading someone else. If all you're doing is because your heart is like stirred towards compassion. You could burn out if all you're doing is trying to lead others, right? Because nobody's helping you. So we need to be there for one another. Life is better done together. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Galatians 6, 9 says it this way, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. And then final part of verse 12, my points are verse 12 and Romans 12 today, be faithful in prayer. Be faithful in prayer. Do not, man, it just says it right there, right? Be faithful in prayer. This is our challenge. Uh, John 17 says it this way. Jesus is praying before he goes to the cross and he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. We need each other to be protected, to be on guard appropriately from the evil one. We should be those who watch and pray. Who can you pray protection for today? Again, I think those who have great success and they're flourishing in their giftings are the first ones to fall away because people stopped praying for them and going through life. We thought they were unreachable or untouchable and we stopped. We can't. We got to stick through with them. We got to follow through with our presence in their life. Going back to last Sunday, we concluded with the story of Thomas. And, and you know, I watch, any, anybody watch the Bible on the History Channel? And we were, I was watching through that. And I think every message I preached, like, they had a different interpretation of it during that. I was so mad. But anyway, uh, you know, they showed Thomas present the day Jesus rose from the dead. And that just did not happen. Uh, the, Thomas didn't, wasn't with the other ten disciples when Jesus first shown himself on the day he resurrected. And that, that's hard for me to picture, to assume, or like even imagine what Thomas was experiencing. Uh, Thomas uh, finds himself one of the 12 disciples. One disciple goes and hangs himself because he gave Jesus over to the authorities of the land. Peter's the one who denied Jesus, but he's there and Jesus shows up with, with 10 of them. But somewhere, Thomas was somewhere. We don't know where he was at. All we know is that Jesus showed up with 10 of the disciples and not Thomas. What must it have been like? It didn't, he didn't show up until a week later. What must it have been like? Who stuck with Thomas? Who was there through that week when he woke up crying because Jesus didn't come to see him in his time of need? What must it have been like when Thomas made his way to check out the empty tomb, but still had not seen Jesus. Think of the judgment and the self. He just had to have been beating himself up. But I love what it says in John 20, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again 
And Thomas was with them. First words Jesus said, peace be with you. How much did that mean to Thomas? Not not just that Jesus said, peace be with you, and gave him an opportunity to address his doubts. But how much did it mean to the disciples who stuck with Thomas and encouraged him to be present with them through probably the toughest week of his entire life? Who can we be with? Thomas, interesting enough, history tells us he made his way to India as an evangelist and ended up dying by being speared to death by the leader of the land. And the history books are the ones that say that Thomas was buried in a tomb similar to Jesus and arose from that tomb similar to Jesus. His body was not found. Thomas. Somebody was through it all with Thomas. Somebody was present with Thomas. And I hope that we could be through life with someone this week. That we could be with each other no matter the challenge. That we with all sincerity could love those we're in relationship with. And maybe today the biggest challenge for you is in maybe a pre-Jesus follower. You just need to forgive those who weren't through the tough times with you. On the back of your connection card, there's multiple next steps that may apply to you. I challenge you, our points today are Romans 12, 12. Pretty easy text to memorize, but it's a good reminder as we go through this series, the foundation of how we can be with each other in life is to carry out these points. Maybe you want to memorize a scripture. We're challenged to do so, to write the word on our heart. So memorize Romans 12, 12. Pray for others experiencing success. Maybe your next step is stop doubting and believe like Thomas. Or maybe it's, and this isn't there, but maybe you need to write it in. Maybe you just need to forgive someone who wasn't through the worst season of your life or the best season of your life and forgive them today. God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the hope that you give us that not only were you there through it all with us, but you want us to be there through it all with others. No matter where we go, no matter the trials we're facing, you've got ministry for us to do, reconciliation. You've commissioned us to be your hands extended so that you can flow through us. Would you help us, God, be those people? As we sing a song today, would you help us reflect on maybe the one we need to be praying for? Maybe help us know our response today. Today, maybe we need to choose to follow you. And the reason we haven't is because nobody was there through it all with us. But we realized that was not your heart. That was their error. We just need to forgive them today. God, stir us to response. In Jesus' name I pray.